I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Marat Verdi, and Kyle Kwas. This is episode 413 for October 15th, 2012. There are five shows remaining. And today's guest is saxophonist Melissa Aldana. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo, and Rob Grundle, who designed the Jazz or Bust logo. You can follow me online on Twitter at Jason D. Crane, D as in David. You can also go over to jasoncrane.org, which is my blog. It has poetry and news about what's happening with me and my move to Auburn, Alabama. You can, of course, uh, continue to find the episodes of the show at thejazzsession.com. There'll be new shows through October 29th, and then the archive will remain up there. So if you're interested in uh, finding the shows after the show ends... Just go to thejazzsession.com like you always do, and they should be there. I was trying to think about all the places this show has been produced. When it started, I was living in Rochester, New York, and so I did quite a number of episodes there. And then I did quite a number of them in Albany, New York, and then uh, a big chunk of them in New York City. And I've certainly produced shows on the road in various places, in Pennsylvania, I've made some shows in Detroit, you know, places I actually put the shows together. Of course, I've recorded them all over the place. Uh, and then now in Auburn, Alabama. So certainly the show has gotten around. Uh, when it started in Rochester, there's no possible way I could have looked ahead at my future <laughs> and seen where things would be now. It's been uh, it's been quite a ride over the, the five-year life of the show. Five and a half, I think. My guest today is someone I saw perform once, I think with Camila Meza, and I was uh, impressed by her playing. And when I was asking people, you know, who should I interview for this last batch of interviews in New York City, several people suggested Melissa Aldana. We're going to hear music from a couple of her records, including her forthcoming record, Second Cycle. Here's music from Melissa Aldana, followed by our conversation.
My guest is the saxophonist Melissa Aldana. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you've got a, a new record, a brand brand new record coming out. It's not even out yet as we talk, and we'll talk about that in a minute. You've also got a record called Freefall, um, which is excellent that we can talk about. But I, I kind of thought it might be nice to start and give people a little background about who you are, mm-hmm. and maybe it makes the most sense to start with your father and talk about what growing up in the house with him, what impact that had on your career, because it seems like a pretty big one. Yeah, well, he's my, my main influence. Uh, I grew up around my father teaching lessons and my grandfather, too, in Chile. So I remember when I turned six years old, my dad was teaching a lesson around the house, and I went to the class and asked if I could play, you know, just being a little child and really annoying. And they needed one one more saxophone, one more voice to play, a, I think, the Brazilian tune. Okay. And the thing was just playing one note. And I took the saxophone, I played that one note, and everything makes sense. I really like it. And I never even thought about it. I just started playing, and I'm here right now. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Did your... Uh... Did both your father and grandfather pr- play professionally as saxophone? Yeah, yeah. I know they, your father did, but... Yeah. yeah, my grandfather used to play in a really famous band called Wambali. They tour all around the world. They play, like, um, tropical music. They were su- they were really famous in Chile and in Europe. Okay. And they, he played baritone and tenor, and my dad, too. And so that was in maybe the 1960s or so that your grandfather played somewhere? I guess, yeah, okay. yeah. And then your father played in the same band or a different... No, different. Okay. Different. My dad was uh, like a breaker influence, you know, young Coltrane. So sure. he was in that in that period. Okay. So when you decided that you wanted to take up the saxophone too, it must have been pretty convenient having two professional saxophonists right there in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. My well, my grandfather died when I was seven years old, mm. but I I learned with my dad until I turned seventeen. So he was a really great teacher. I remember he always taught me about how to love practicing and just having fun. You know, I would play a solo and he would get me an ice cream after playing the solo <laughs> ride. You know, so I, it was always fun. He was a great teacher. Uh, tell me about making practicing fun. What what techniques do you have to to make yourself want to practice? Uh, he always uh, make like I don't know. Like leader games, you know, he will be like, if you learn this solo, we can go to get some ice cream. And he always seems something fun, you know, he never forced me uh, to practice. Uh, he always motivate me a lot, you know. Maybe probably I, I always really like it from since I was really, since I was on my, on my mom's belly, you know. Sure. But practicing solos, learning technique, it didn't seem like something something boring to do you know it was always exciting to learn and and try to make a solo sound exactly like the other one also uh my dad have a lot of students so i used to practice with them all the time and play like leader games he can who can play first the solo or the phrase so it was always was always fun to do it when you were learning solos were you learning them by ear off records or were you transcribing or what were you 
Just by year. ear. Just by ear? Yeah. My dad, I, I didn't even read until I got to Berkeley. No you know, kidding. Yeah. In Berkeley, you know, they, they have this rating, you know, uh, for improvisation, sound, and reading. And I have uh, like seven, seven. The maximum is eight. So I have seven, seven, one. <laughs> one in reading, you know. <laughs> I couldn't even read a quarter note or anything. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, before we get to Berkeley, I know that when you were fairly young, you started performing around Chile with your father, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had the opportunity to play with the, with all the musicians that he used to play with uh, around different jazz clubs. And I had the opportunity to work in TV shows too. So I have, I went a lot of experience before coming to the States. That was really great. And what was that like as a young woman in particular? Is that a common thing for young women to be jazz musicians in Chile? Uh, not at all. But actually, like the few people from Chile that are here are... are um, a lot of women, you know, like it's Natalia Bernal, uh, we have the great Claudia Cunha, yeah. she's really well known, uh, Camila, uh, it's me, you know, no, it's not that many, but it's like a couple really good females players from Chile. Sure. But it's, it's not a normal thing, you know, and I never felt, I never felt weird about it. I always felt, even here, you know, I know that it's a lot of, I mean, it's still like the thing that, oh, you play like a female or like a guy, but I never felt like that. I always been, I always feel part of the part of the scene, you know, just part of what I mean, just one more musician and nothing different at all. Good. That's how it should be. Interested, you know, for many children, they see what their parents do or the kind of music their parents like, and they go in the opposite direction. You know, so if your parents like classical music, you might like heavy metal or whatever. But in your case, you not only did you not reject your parents' music, but you embraced it. Do you know why that why that happened? What it was that made you not rebel or decide to go in some other direction? Um, I don't really know why, but I always, you know, I grew up hearing jazz all the time. Um, like when I was seven years old, Charlie Parker was like the hit, the hippest tune. I mean, the hippest music <laughs> around, you know. And then, of course, I started realizing it's more music and everything. I'm really open. I like a lot of other bands, but I always really like it, you know. Really sure. love to play in it, hear it. I think that it's, it's a good, it's like one of the best music where you can improvise and really create and go somewhere, you know, really 
leave something, you know. That is why I really, really like it. And uh, it seems to me like you had a kind of a rare experience because most, uh, and we've talked about this with other people on this show before, how children, when they first pick up an instrument, almost all they can do is improvise. And then they're eventually taught, well, this is exactly how you do it. And then if they're lucky, maybe they learn to improvise again when they get older. Yeah. But there's a period where they're kind of pushed away from improvising. But it sounds like in your case, improvising and expressing yourself was part of your entire education from a young age. Uh, yeah, I mean, my dad, my dad I, I can say, I mean, I will say my dad has been the best teacher I ever had. I'm really lucky to that I grew up next to a person that always had really clear, like, a good method to to learn, you know. Um, I practiced a lot of technique in the beginning, theory, then transcribe a lot, then trying to improvise, you know, just whatever, have a lot of experiences playing, you know. But it was something, always a really complete, um, really complete process, you know. And I, it's, I mean, it's wearing here in the state is a lot of great musicians, like great teachers too, but... My dad has something, he's, he was really smart about teaching a little kid and making the whole process really complete and really making me involved in that. remember a point in your life where playing music went from something you enjoyed to something you thought you might try to do as as your actual career as your profession not really not really i mean it's not to sound cliche but i always knew that i wanted to do that obviously at some point i i questioned myself and i was wondering I mean, I was expected to go to a university, you know, study law or do something else and then keep playing music because the idea to come to the States and study here seems really far away, you know, it's sure. really expensive. And my, I mean, when I was growing up, my dad always told me, you got to go to the States, you got to go to Boston or New York and be here. Here is where you need to be and like to really go to the next level, you know. So when I was like around 15, I wa it was hard, you know, I, I come from a like kind of low income family so it was no way they could come to the state and then Wayne Chodder went to Chile with Danilo Perez 
and he's married with, to one of my dad ex-students. So I approached him, I talked to him, I was like, I'm playing tonight in a jazz club, can you come, just hear me? I don't know, I would like to see if you can help me out to go outside. It was something that, I don't know why I did, I just thought about it. I was like, okay, this may be a good option, and let's see what happened. How old were you at that time? I was like 16. Okay. And he heard me playing, he played with me the concert, and then he invited me to a Panama Jazz Festival. So I went there, and then he invited me to stay at his home in Boston, uh, he helped me to apply to Berkeley and New England. Then I remember when I was in Berkeley, I played I play like a couple solos, and I was like, I don't have money to come here, but I would love to be part of this. And a couple of months later, I got a presidential scholarship. So that was really, that was really it. You know, I had the, I mean, I, I didn't even thought about going to university and do something else. I, I knew that I wanted to come to Boston and I study at Berkeley. Also, they pay for everything. So that's amazing. It was the best chance I have. Three years where I could send money to move to New York and learn English because I didn't speak any English when I got there and really realized what was going on around me. So you didn't speak English and you didn't read music. So tell me what it was like those first few days or weeks at Berkeley. Man, I, I think I, even, I didn't even thought about it because I would get really depressed. You know, <laughs> I was just like looking around, like people thought I would buy them because I didn't speak that much. So I would just look to the ground or not. I was just like being shy and not really knowing what was going on around sure. me. But I will say like probably these last two years, I just start feeling more comfortable with my English. I know I understand more what is going on, you know. And well, about reading, it, it, I mean, it took me like a year just to start learning. You know, I just never practiced. My dad always taught me by ear. So that wasn't the big problem. The big problem was my English, you know. So no, but I feel, I feel... After a year, it was cool. The first few weeks, obviously, was kind of depressing. Really, I just finished high school. I didn't know anybody, but it always felt really natural in a way. I never felt like I want to come back home or I miss my parents. I didn't even thought about it. I just had a lot of fun practicing, meeting people. You know, my first, I remember my first class was, was with Joe Lovano. So that really blew my mind. I was just, <laughs> wow, this is the paradise for me. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, when I was about the same age as you were when you came to Berkeley, I moved to Japan. And I remember, and I didn't speak any Japanese when I first got there. And I went to school also. And I was in like a, I don't know, a physics class or something, which is a subject I didn't really understand in English either, particularly. Yeah. And then wow. trying, you know, it's like le trying to learn one language in another language. And so I imagine it's kind of the same thing where you're you're learning theory, but the theory instructors are teaching you in English, which oh, yeah. you're also learning. Yeah, I, I have to relearn everything a couple of years later. You know, I didn't understand anything, anything, That's anything. Amazing. But I passed and I finished. I had with good grades, you know. The only class I had really bad grades was in English skills. But it was cool, you know. The least important of all. Yeah, yeah that's right. So um, in your, did your Berkeley experience convince you that the next step was to move to New York? Uh, no. Don't ask me why, but I always knew that I wanted to move to New York. I always. And actually, once I moved here, every I felt like home, you know. I know this is a big city and it's a lot of things going on and it's super hard to be here. I can't explain you how. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you know, it's just survived by gigs and everything. But I always love it, you know. I always love it and I never even thought about quitting being here. And remember when I finished Berkeley, that was one of the happiest days of my life after finishing high school. I remember that was the other happy day. And I moved here like a week later 
didn't know. I have a really good gigs in Boston. I was like, now it's time. I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm moving. And I'm here now. Really love it. You know, it's great. I'm playing a lot, traveling a lot, meeting so many great musicians. They can, I'm really close to one of my heroes, George Coleman. So that has been, he was one of the first people that I met in New York. So it's been just a wonderful experience. I always knew that I wanted to be here. How long ago did you arrive in New York? Like two years and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. The time flies. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, so many amazing. things happening here. <laughs> so uh, during this time that you were that you were in Berkeley and then moving to New York, what was your parents' opinion of what was what was happening with you? Uh, just do it, you know. I mean, they love me and they know that I'm happy with it. For my dad, of course, he's a huge. He's so proud of me. He. I'm sure he wishes that he could done the same like many years ago, you know. He was in the Delonis Monk competition. He used to travel a lot. Great musician, still great musician, but I'm sure that he always wanted to do what I'm doing right now. Sure. And my mom, I mean, it's nothing that they can say, you know. I support myself. I'm living here. I'm fine. I talk to them every day. I go to Chile quite often this past year, so they're happy for me. That's great. <laughs> Talk about moving to New York. How did you start to establish yourself here? And how, you said you met George Coleman early on. How did that happen? Um, do you know um, Emilio Lyons? Mm -hmm. But tell people who. Yeah, Emilio Lyons is a great repairman, really famous all around the world. And Anybody who has ever looked at like a downbeat magazine has seen yeah. an ad for Emilio, <laughs> Emilio yeah. Lyons. It, yeah, so. yeah, Emilio Lyons. Yeah. <laughs> and he was actually the first person that I met in Boston. I remember my saxophone wasn't working. When I was like 16, the first time that I went there, and I went to Emilio and I asked him, Oh, can you fix my saxophone? I was super young. And I was like, I don't have money, but I don't know. Something is going on. And I have my audition right now for the, for the scholarship. So he fixed my saxophone. He was super nice. He really liked it the way I play. And then I didn't saw it, saw him like for two years. And when I came back, I saw him, he remembered me, he reminded me, and we were super, we became really good friends. And before moving to New York, he was like, you need to go, you need to meet George Coleman. So he, he took the phone and he gave him a call. He was like, here it is. And he made me play like a ballad for him. And George loved it and he was like, 
tell her to come to my place when she moved to New York. So I moved to New York. I gave him a call. I went to his house. We have like a, he gave me like a free lesson. We talk a lot. And since then we became really, really close to each other, you know. Sure. He's been a great teacher, uh, really supportive. I always play when he's playing like a wake somewhere, you know, he's, oh, this is Melissa. Introduce me to everyone. So that has been one of the best experiences I ever had. You know, um, I don't ever like to assume that people know who people are. So will you tell folks who George Coleman is for people who don't know? Uh, well, he's one of my most, he was, he's one of the greatest tennis players in the history of jazz. Uh, he played in the famous band with Miles Davis. He recorded that famous album, uh, Seven Step to Heaven and many other great albums too. Uh, so talk about what it's like to get a chance to spend time, not just studying the music but just to spend time around someone who has lived the kind of life that george coleman has what what can you get from him that you can't get in other places uh just experience just the amount of experience i mean besides he's a really great musician knows so much about army and about everything uh probably he lived everything that you could possibly live you know here in new york so it's been a great experience to see how he is with people you know ask him how he used to be in the old times you know um really smart about like i mean practicing the way that he teach you know uh get make, making me prepare you know with things that you will probably realize just with more experiences you know but it's great to have somebody that will tell you look this look this uh maybe check out this tune you should be ready with this and just have him support to me you know sure <laughs> Remember the first kind of real gig that you played here in New York after you moved? Yeah, I do. Um, well, I play at um, I play at Smalls. I remember I got my first gig at Smalls, and it was a huge deal for me. Uh, I remember it was um, April third, like the last year. You know, it was a Saturday, four to seven, and I played with with the band I re- I just recorded. And that was my first big gig, and it was a huge, huge deal for me. And now it's, um, well, it's not, I had the experience to play at the Bangara week, the last year with Greg Osby. And 
I keep playing at small, I play at the jazz gallery. After that, I mean, I've been having many good gigs and it's been a wonderful experience. Yeah. I mean, it seems, are there ever moments like where you think, well, just a few years ago, I was living in Chile, not really sure what I was going to do with music. And now I'm on stage at the Vanguard. I mean, are there ever moments where that's just amazing to you? Yeah, of course. (laughs) I'm amazing, you know, and it's not, I mean, it's no moment that I stop thinking about it. I'm really grateful and it's, but at the same time, I feel like I worked so hard to be here. Sure. And I feel more than anything, I feel really lucky and blessed to be able to do something at my age that I really love to do, you know, more. I mean, whatever it is, if it's not music or medicine, whatever, I feel lucky that I'm doing something that I love. And I wake up every morning and I feel I just want to practice and go out and hear some music. And I'm in the best place to do that. So I feel like lucky about that, you know. Well, you talked to me about the decision to make Freefall. How did you decide you were ready to, to put something on record? I wasn't ready, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my manager, I mean, he was like, it's time to record. You just finished school. It's, now is the time. And also Greg Osby was a huge support to me. You know, he always um, encouraged me to play, I mean, to record my first album, to write music. So we put a band together with the great Ralph Peterson, who I met in Berkeley, great drummer, and then Lyle West, bass player from Texas, and Michael Palmer, who was a classmate from from Berkeley. So we just recorded. I grew music for it, like, a couple months before. You know, I wasn't ready, never, like, really worked with my own band. So we recorded, and it came out really great. I'm really happy about it. And I think that it was great to record that period of my life when, I mean, that, what, that is the name of the album actually, Free Fall, you know, just, I mean, just a free fall, you know, not yeah. knowing really know what was going on, but having clear that I wanted to be here. And so we recorded, uh, it came out great. It was a great experience to write music for it. And after that, I, I just decided that the most important thing for me besides, uh, practicing and getting my stuff together, will be to get a band, stable band. I will be playing the, this next, I mean, the next two years after that, writing music for it. And that is, that is became my second album, second cycle with this stable band. Talk about who's in this band. Uh, it's Gordon Now on the trumpet. Uh, he went to the Thelonious Monk uh, Institute and he was in Berkeley too. Great trumpet player from California. Joseph Laporte from Italy. He plays with Greg Osby and I met him through him. And then Ross Pedersen from Fargo, but he's studying in North Texas. So they are, I mean, they're like best friends, my family. I love to play with them. And we know each other musically so well that recording the album was just like record the moment of our period playing together, you know. And is the album all music that you've written? Yeah, most of it. It's just one standard on it. And then it's two originals by Gordon. Okay. But it's just music that we've been working on it these past few years, playing it, playing. Also, we recorded two tunes from my first album, uh, Free Fall and Headline. So it's really interesting to see the transition from that two, from that, two, from these two years, you know, my, just the way that I'm thinking when I'm playing the, the Bible, the group. It's really, it's quite different. It's really interesting. How did you know when you had the right people together? How did you know, okay, this is the band now that I want to work with? Well, I play with a lot of people, you know. I always, uh, we, well, with Gordon, I've been playing like two years and I just always like it the way that he play. And I know him for a long time from Berkeley, you know. He used to be like, oh, the big Gordon now. Berkeley, huge deal. And 
we started playing together. We became good friends. We done many many other projects, flamenco projects with a great singer from Spain called Carmen Paris that we're gonna record an album too now. And we, I just always loved to play with him. I'm, I know that he loves to play with me. It's a lot of respect, a lot of work putting together. Uh, it's the kind of person more beyond being a great musician and I want to have him in my band we, he will come to my place we'll have lunch and work on melodies with the metronome you know like kind of things that I think that is really important to have and and to be able to do with a band you know like I have it with all these people when is the new record going to come out? Uh, it's going to be out well probably at the middle of October okay beginning of November and then I'm going to have a CD release at Smalls December 6th okay, 10pm my guest is Melissa Aldana. Her first album was called Free Fall, and the new one is called Second Cycle. Is that right? Yeah, Second okay. Cycle, under Inner Cycle, record level. Greg Osby. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was great to meet you. Thank you so much, Jason. Music from Melissa Aldana. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Manat Verdi, and Kyle Quas. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. You can find my other website at jasoncrane.org. And I have a little survey there now, as I'm thinking about a, a potential new show. I've got a one-question survey that you can uh, take and vote on which kind of show you would like to hear and support. So head over to jasoncrane.org and you'll find that survey. Thanks so much for listening. Now get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
Bye.